Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. For it is commendable if one bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because one is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing nothing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body and on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty Lord, as we gather again this morning for worship, we humbly ask that you speak to our hearts. Speak to us through the songs, through scripture, through prayer, through the preached word. Speak to us through the blessings of life as we look around and see you in the world all around us. But, oh God, as you speak to us, let us have ears to listen and hearts that are open to you so that we would leave from this hour not just hearers of your words, but go forth as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. One thing that I have learned from parenthood is that every parent is confronted with declarations from their children that are like fingernails on a chalkboard. The kind of declarations that appear over and over again, such as sends us to our knees and we cringe and we offer all sorts of penance for sins long in the past if the words would just stop coming like an ever-flowing flood. Think about it with me. With toddlers, as soon as the language barrier is crossed, just as soon as they learn mama and daddy, they learn the very next word is no and mine. And they repeat them incessantly, no and mine. And if that wasn't enough, if their vocabulary moved beyond that, it begins to be like a child calling your name every five minutes at bedtime. Mama, I want another drink of water. Daddy, I'm scared of the dark. Mama, this. Daddy, that. Every five minutes. And you're just exhausted. And you just say, please, Lord, make it stop. But then they grow up. 
and they become older elementary age students and teenagers and adolescents and they adopt a new phrase because at that point in life they're really good at pointing out perceived injustices that happen in the world around them. For example, they might be sitting there, with if you've got two children at home, the youngest one might look at you and go, why does my older sibling get to stay up so much later doing trigonometry homework than I get to do? Or why do I have to do online school when all my friends are watching dumpster fire videos on YouTube? And then after that, you say, you come up with your answer and your reasoning why, and it's generally followed by this phrase, that's not fair, and usually punctuated with a slamming of a door. That's not fair. My brother-in-law, when he was raising his kids, got tired of hearing that phrase, and so he came back with them with this witty retort that didn't go over well, but it sort of amused me. After, one of my, after my nephew or my niece, one of them said, that's not fair, he reminded them that the fair only comes one time a year in the fall, and the day wasn't that day. See, kids have a hard time seeing and understanding that sometimes life is not fair, that there are differences, and that sometimes you're not able to do what others do. Sometimes you are persecuted for doing the right thing, for going against the tide, for being different. See, as Peter's writing to the early church, he's writing a similar message. He recognizes that the early Christians were suffering because of who they were in the world. See, there are two types of suffering. There's a suffering that comes as a consequence of our actions, think of it sort of like if you're going to do the crime, you better be ready to do the time. We understand that, but what we don't understand is the suffering that we receive as an indirect cause for our actions. See, Peter's writing that message. He understands that the early Christians were suffering unfairly just because of who they were. See, in their society, they were already the lowest rung on the ladder. They were foreigners in a foreign land, but they were persecuted because they followed the risen Christ, because the rest of the world followed the Roman gods and the Greek gods. They were persecuted because they went against the custom of the day. And so he acknowledges that they were mistreated because of their faith and their faithfulness to God's command, but he compared that suffering to Christ on a cross, reminding them that they had received a higher calling, that they had been lifted up by the power of the resurrection, that God's redemptive hope came in Christ raised from the dead, and that that's where they should anchor their lives, no matter what may come. And so then as that story unfolds, the lens turns to you and to me and our own lives. Do we live as those who have received a great gift, the gift of resurrection hope? Do we lead lives that are defined by it and by God's teachings and commandments? Life is not always fair, let's face it, but it's especially not fair when we do the right thing even when it's counter to our culture. I mean, over the last eight weeks, we have changed the way that we live we have learned and adopted and we've found new ways of living and coexisting, new ways of doing business and education. 
But in the process of that, I think we've also found our best selves. We are more gracious. We are more kind. We are more connected. We are more worried about our neighbor than we maybe have ever been. So what if in this new way of life, this new way of connectedness, this our best selves that we've discovered, what if we hold on to that desperately as the world begins to open up, as the stay-at-home orders begin to lift, as we begin to restart the world around us and figure out what it means as we go through phases one, two, and three? What if we held on closely to this new sense of self? And so if I got to think about that, what would we define that by? Are there, are there markers that we could hold on to in our lives, banners that we could fly, or phrases that we could remind ourselves with? And I came up with three. The first of those is one that we've heard time and again throughout our lives. What is right is not always popular. The second one is an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And the third is that you have to live with yourself. That we are answerable only to God and ourselves. So the end result may be that if we hold on desperately to those three ideals, those three parts of our lives, that the end result might be that the world may treat us differently. The, moral, the world may look down upon us, but that's okay because we've got resurrection hope and that's what drives the ways we live. I think about that, what is right is not always popular. I think about that phrase because I use that so many times in youth ministry, trying to teach our teenagers not to give in to peer pressure, but to live the righteous life that God wants them to live. To be the one that goes out of their way to welcome the stranger, the kid that is a little different than all the others. To be the one that is the friend even when the world encourages you not to step out and be different. As I think of that, I think of Captain Brett Crozier, you know, the, the captain of the USS Teddy Roosevelt, the Navy captain who wrote a letter to his chain of command concerned about the health and welfare of his sailors as they were dealing with the coronavirus on his ship. He was willing to step out and swim against the tide and even possibly lose his command because he cared for his sailors. And in that, he in fact did lose his command. And while they're debating what to do with him, what he did earn was the admiration of his crew, the admiration of the people of the world, because he showed them what it looks like to care for others more deeply than your own self. I think about the leaders of our businesses and our community who are trying to do the right thing by their employees and try to lift them up and to take care of them even as they are not able to work. And I think about this and I think about what will our lives be like when we begin to open things back up? Will we go back to the way we were? Or can we hold on desperately to this idea of doing that which is right no matter what? Even if it's not popular even if it means that we leave some money on the table, even if it means that we put our reputation at risk because we choose to do what is right, we choose to speak out against injustice, we choose to lift people up, to not tolerate discrimination in our midst. 
You see, when I think of Jesus's ministry, that which Peter was writing to the early church about, Jesus did all of those things. He lifted up the least, the last, and the lost. He encouraged us to care for our neighbor. He was persecuted because this action of his life was against the customs of the day. But you see, my friends, if we do that, if we do what is right because it's right, not because it brings us great joy, or not because it brings us great reward, but because it brings us great joy, if we do what is right, even if it's not popular, then we understand the joy of God. We give that resurrection hope through us to the rest of the world because we know what we've received and what God offers to us in the world. But as we hold on to that, we also need to hold on to that other phrase, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Country singer Casey Musgraves, I love one of her songs. She's got a great lyric in there. It says, putting salt in your coffee doesn't make mine any sweeter. See, oftentimes when we are faced with persecution or suffering by mistreatment of others upon ourselves, we are tempted to seek revenge. We decide that I'm going to show you, I'm going to get even with you. But what happens in that moment is that we are consumed by anger. That negativity, it filters in our souls and it's not good for us. It's not who God wants us to be. And what we find in those moments, that even if we do seek revenge, that all we do in that is inflict pain and suffering on someone else. It doesn't lessen ours. It doesn't make us feel any better, really. Instead, someone else is now just as wounded as we are. So what if coming out of this that we decided that revenge is not God's way, if we hold on to that and that we realize that an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. So instead, what if we turn the other cheek? What if we open our eyes and by the fact that we would not retaliate, we open the eyes of the world that there is a better way of dealing with conflict, a better way of dealing with injustice, a better way of treating each other. See, it's in turning the other cheek that we begin to emulate Christ's life. Christ there on the cross turned and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Rather than seeking revenge upon all of humanity, Christ sought pity, sought redemption. What if we offered that same grace to the people around us? If we take those two pieces of advice, doing right, whether it's popular or not, turning the other cheek, See, if we take those two pieces and we incorporate them in our lives, then we really have no one to answer to but ourselves and to God. And it's in that moment that we begin to realize no matter what the rest of the world says about us, what matters is the content of our heart and our relationship with God in heaven. See, Peter challenges us to live a life transformed by the resurrection, one that evokes Jesus' teaching that rises above suffering rises above fairness, rises above pain, and focuses on righteous living so that all the world may see what hope comes 
with Christ raised from the dead. So my friends, here is my hope for us. My hope for us as a people of the world, as children of God, as members of this congregation, the Church Universal, my hope is that we will focus on our lives and how they have been changed by the power of God's love. How they have been changed by Christ and how as we begin to live back out in the world, as we begin to leave our shelter of our homes and and commute into the world and to go about life, as we know it, that we would live each day to make a difference, that we would live righteous living, doing what is right, even if it is not popular, but that we would also rise above strife and conflict, that we would rise above the squabbles and the disagreements, rise above the drama and the gossip, rise above all of that and the desire that the world sometimes wants to push onto us to get even, and instead that we would set the course, set the example that Christ set for us, and that we would use it to show the world the power of God's redemptive love, the power of the resurrection, the power that comes from being followers of Christ, the power that comes from being the people that God has created us to be, where our lives have been changed by one who sought not revenge, but grace for us all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.